At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to tune into our current series, Assembly Required, Building a Case for Church, where we'll see what the Psalms teach us about a life of faith lived in community. Uh, have you ever heard the saying, sin is like underwear? Anyone ever heard of that saying? Maybe you didn't because I just made it up. I mean, it made it up earlier this week. Because I was thinking about it, you know, sin is like underwear. We assume that everyone is wearing underwear right now. Hopefully you're all wearing underwear. I'm assuming that you are, and none of us actually want to see you in your underwear, right? In much the same way, we assume that we all sin. We assume that we've all made mistakes, and there's sins that we're even right now that we're wrestling with. But the truth is, no one ever wants to be caught in their sin, Right? So today, I want us, as we gather together, I want us to talk about sin. I want us to have a, a, a real conversation about sin. And for some of you, this may be uncomfortable, but I want you to see the beauty and the blessing of talking about sin and how God gives us a path towards forgiveness and restoration, that we don't have to live in the shame and in the pain of sin. You've been at that place in your life, haven't you, where you've absolutely blown it? And you know that you have messed up big time and you've just blown it and you desire to do good, but you don't even can't even do the good that you want to do. And so you live in this cycle of sin and we want to be made right. We've missed the mark. We've missed the standard. And maybe you're here and you're like, I I'm, don't have a problem with sin. Well, I want to tell you, be very leery and be very careful because the Bible tells us that we've all sinned. And when we get to the place of saying, well, I'm without sin, therefore we are sinning by saying we haven't sinned. And so therefore we've just sinned and we get in this cycle again. And so none of us are without sin. We all struggle with it. And remember, sin is the thing that we do when we don't live up to God's standard of perfection. That's the, when we are not holy to God's standard, that is sin. And I want us to see today that sin is very dangerous. Sin is not something we should play around with, joke about, laugh about, or make little of. Sin is dangerous. It separates us from God. It separates us from God both now in this life, but it also separates us from God through eternity, where when if, we, if we die in our trespasses and sins, we go to a Christless eternity where the wrath of God will be poured out on us for eternity. It separates us from God. It also separates us from each other. It damages relationships. It hurts. And as we walk through a life of sin, we see that it leaves all this collateral damage in the lives around us. It displeases God and separates us from his joy. And you know, over the years, the church, the collective church, has viewed sin in two main improper ways. Either sometimes churches choose to run, go the route of condoning sin or minimizing sin, they, they say, well, the things that, some of the things that Scripture clearly teaches is sin, they say, ah, it doesn't really mean that. He, it's, it, that was written in a different day and a different time. And so to not sin in this way, we're allowed to do it now. Churches take that route. But then others, instead of condemning or condoning sin, they condemn it. They, they say that the person that is sinful or that has done sinful things, instead of leading them to the grace and mercy of God, they condemn that person. I, I don't know if you've ever been in a church like that. 
But, but it seems like in, in the Christian life, a lot of times, there's a lot of grace and mercy as a person is coming into the faith, right? We, we tell the person, you don't have to get clean before you get in. You just come to Jesus and all your brokenness and all your sin. And when you lay it at his feet, he forgives you and makes you new, right? We all believe that, right? But then there's that next group that says there's somehow uh, something happens the moment that we accept Christ and are baptized and are living as a part of the church, that there's an expectation that we live holy, like absolute holy lives, that there's no margin for mistakes. You guys ever felt that way? Like the, the, the church that was once accepting is now, wait a minute, you've got to be pure now and you've got to be perfect and you, you can't mess up. Perfection is expected and the church is supposed to be a safe place where we confess and work through sin. Right? This is supposed to be the hospital. This is the place where, just like your underwear, I know that you sin and you know that I sin and maybe you don't necessarily see my sin, but you know that I'm dealing with it. And so instead of condemning me for my sin or me condemning you for your sin, this should be a place of grace. This should be a home. And I'm not saying that our church is on this side. I'm just saying these are two improper ways of looking at sin. If the church becomes a scary, judgmental place, then people are tempted to live fake lives and they suffer in sin and silence. And so today, what I want us to do is I want us to look at the biblical way that we are to deal with sin, both, both in our personal lives, like our, our, our personal life between us and God, but also inside the community of faith, inside of the church. How are we supposed to walk with each other through sin or out of sin? And so today we're going to continue our series titled Assembly Required as we've been looking at the book of Psalms, which is a collection of songs, poems, and prayers that God, God's people use when they assemble together during the Old Testament times and they, as they gather for worship together. So it's a, it's a book of prayers and songs and, and uh, hymns and, and um, that the church used, not the church, but God's people used back in the Old Testament and even through uh, Jesus' day. And today, what I, what I want us to see is one of the practices that they did on a weekly basis as they gathered together is what Paul, uh, the Psalms is going to describe today as confession of sins. God's family, the family of God, one of the things that we're supposed to do as we gather together is we are to, to confess our sins to one another, realizing that we're not perfect, not so that we can be condemned, but so that we can share it with others and we don't have to battle sin alone. Today, specifically, I want us to see that cleansing and joy come through confession. Cleansing and joy come through confession. This is the whole purpose of, of us feeling bad and, 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 and sin, and in our sin and we feel shameful in our sin is that God wants to show us that we can't fix ourselves but that if we come to him, he's already provided a way for us to experience cleansing and joy. So today we're gonna look at Psalm 51. And if you look at Psalm 51, there's a, a prescript right before we get to verse 1 that gives us some context to this psalm. It says, To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Now, this is a huge, lots of stuff has gone on before Psalm 51, and I wanted to show us a quick video uh, to get us up to speed so that we can figure out what's going on between David, King David, and Nathan. And so... Our sound team, video team, is getting this up for us.
David was a man after God's own heart, and he was a good king too. He loved God and he tried to live and lead God's way. One night, David took a walk up to the roof of the palace where it was cool. When he got there, he looked over at another roof and noticed a woman. The woman's name was Bathsheba. David said to his servant, Go and tell that woman to come to the palace. When David saw Bathsheba, he thought she was very beautiful. She is so lovely, I want her to be mine. But Bathsheba already had a husband named Uriah, a soldier who served in King David's army. This is a problem. So David made a terrible choice. I know, I'll have Uriah killed in battle. And that's what David did. Soon, David and Bathsheba were married. David had done a very bad thing. He should have felt very badly about it, but he didn't. He was just glad he didn't get caught. No one will ever know. One day, Nathan came to David. Nathan was a prophet who heard from God. He told David a story. Once there were two men. One of them was rich with lots of sheep and cattle. The other man was very poor. All he had was one little lamb. He loved the little lamb so much he made it his pet. It ate and even slept in the house like part of the family. One day the rich man had a visitor who was very hungry. And even though the rich man had hundreds of sheep of his own, he decided to go and steal the little pet lamb from his neighbor's house to cook for the visitor's dinner. What that rich man did was so wrong. He should be punished. The rich man is you. God knows what you have done. You had everything. All of the riches of the kingdom and Uriah was poor and only had his wife, who he loved very much. Still, you took his wife away and you had him killed. God is going to punish you for this terrible, terrible thing. Bad things will happen in your family now. David suddenly realized how terrible he had been. He felt awful and was very sorry for all he had done. So he cried out to God from his heart, Lord, I'm so sorry. I know I have done things that are terrible in your sight. Will you forgive me? The Lord knew what was in David's heart. He did not just say he was sorry. He really was sorry. The Lord forgave David of his sin. Right, we see a good recap of what has taken place in David's past. And so after he had done this terrible thing, he had, um, after he had messed up and he had done a bad thing, this is what Second um, Samuel says, Second uh, Samuel chapter 11, verse 27. It says, and when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. This is talking about David and Bathsheba. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. You see, even though David thought he was getting away with everything because there was a, a time in which uh, all of his sin was uh, not noticed by the nation, it wasn't noticed by other people, God knew and what he had done displeased the Lord. And so David, thinking he got away with it until the one day that God speaks to him through the prophet Nathan. Now God's, God's message to us, his message of conviction comes a lot of times in a lot of different ways. Sometimes God's message of conviction comes from a messenger. Sometimes God's message of conviction comes from his word. And sometimes his message of conviction comes from the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. 
You see, what we do, what we say, what we think, what we feel, God knows all of that, and nothing is hidden from him. And so we see David now in this place of blowing it big time, knowing that he's messed everything up, that this man, after God's own heart, had lived and acted very wickedly, acted and lived as though he didn't believe that God, what God had given him was good and was enough. And we see now in Psalm 51 today, what we're going to see is this process that, that he goes back through uh, to receive the forgiveness and be made right with God. He's, we're going to see the cleansing and joy that comes through his confession. And today as we look at Psalm 51, we're going to see three stanzas. And each of these stanzas in this psalm gives us a different movement um, towards forgiveness and how we're supposed to live. So let's look at uh, verses three, or I'm sorry, let's look at verses one through six. David responds after he is told from Nathan what he had done. He now goes to his secret place and he says this to God. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly with my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sins are ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and have done evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in all of your judgments. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth, in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. You see, David, as a king, understands that he deserves justice. Right? He understands what he has done deserves to be punished, and he also knows that any good king would call out and punish uh, evil types of behavior at, that he has exhibited. So David, also knowing the true nature of God, knows he deserves punishment, but begs God for mercy. He says, oh God, have mercy on me. David does a, a, a very bold thing here. He doesn't minimize his sin. He doesn't make excuses. But instead, he understands the depth of his sin. And even through this passage, we see he talks about sin with three different words. Right? First, he uses the word sin. Sin simply means to miss the standard or to miss the mark. So God has set the standard because we've talked about this before, because God has created all things. God has created you. God's created me. He's created the whole universe. That he has the right to make the rules. And so he set forth the rules and told us his rules in his word. And it's our responsibility to live up to that standard. But then... We miss the mark. We step outside of God's design, and that's called sin. And so David knew the, the difference between right and wrong, right? So he understands it, and he missed the mark. He knew the expectations but didn't follow through. So that's the word sin. Then we see this next word called transgression. A transgression is, is the person that knows the boundaries, that, that knows God's standard and willfully and rebelliously steps over the line. They transgress just in much the same way that David did. He knew God's standard. He didn't just miss the mark, but he in his will and in his desire chose knowing he was doing wrong. He stepped outside of God's boundaries and he transgressed. And then this word iniquity is almost the most evil one of them all. So not only did, does uh, David miss the mark, not only did he outstep, step over God's standards and God's boundaries, but in his sin, he perverts life. 
He does super evil. He continues on and lives out a lavishly sinful life instead of doing what's right. So David is like, I've sinned, I've transgressed, and I'm full of iniquity. So what we see here is the, the first thing that we need to see as we walk through this passage is that we need to know our own sin. Know and own your sin. You gotta know it and own it in order to begin this process towards reconciliation or to um, forgiveness. He goes on and says, the the pain and the consequences of this sin and this failure is ever before me. As I playing it over in my mind, I see my transgression. I see my iniquity. I see it always there. It's not leaving me. Even in the times where he felt like he got away from it, he's now living fuller or more fully in the pains. And he sees the devastation and the distance between he and God. And then in verse four, he goes on and he says, against you, O Lord, have I only sinned. I've only sinned against you. And what he's saying in this is that he understands that even though he sinned and his sin had consequences for Bathsheba and Uriah and even Solomon and and the nation of Israel and even uh, the rest of David's uh, lineage, what we see is even though it had all that, that collateral damage, the first problem was in order for any of that to be fixed first, his relationship with God had to be fixed first because he, he sinned against God. God was the one that said, hey, this is it. This is my standard for you. And David knew it. And so he had to be made right back with God. David owns his brokenness because the light of God was shed on him. The words of the prophet came to him, opened his eyes to see how he had fallen. And now he understands he has to deal with it. You see, I want to give you a quick illustration. Uh, Imagine this really, really nice shiny penny was uh, super valuable. Couldn't put a price on it, okay? So this is a, a super shiny penny. It's like brand new. It's spotless. And this shiny penny is just like you and I. Right? We, are, uh, it, it, we, we carry the treasure of God, and when we are born in this life, and we, we, God loves us so much that we are perfect and we are spotless in all of this, and we live our lives in a way that we start to go outside of God's design and we start to do bad things. And what happens over time is that our shiny penny gets tarnished. Sin after sin after sin begins to change. It doesn't change our value, right? It doesn't change who we are in the sight of God, but changes, it, it, it makes us not so shiny, makes us not so bright, not so reflective. And yet this is where David sees himself. He sees himself realizing that he has value because God has loved him and has given him life, but he realizes that he's sinful and he realizes that he's messed up. You see, in our lives today, we need to know and own our sin. The world is so easy, wants to downplay sin and just say, hey, that's, that's not anger. You just got a little frustrated. Hey, that's, that's not wrong. It's, it's just a little white lie. It's a little sin. And I want us to see that all sin has collateral damage and it separates us from God. So we need to own it. We need to know that we've messed up. And maybe you're like, I don't know what I'm sinful of. Maybe you're just so unaware of it. Then pray and ask the Lord to bring about conviction. Because conviction is something a lot of people want to run away from. 
but it is God's mechanism in our life to bring us closer to him. It's the first sign that we've stepped out of step with the Lord, but it's the first sign that we can immediately begin walking back in step with God through forgiveness. And so many times people feel that, that, that sense of uh, conviction, and instead of feeling conviction, they allow the next step to come in, which is a step further away from God, which is experiencing shame. When you start to feel shame, that's when you know you've taken another step away from the Lord. So instead of moving back towards the Lord, where there's forgiveness, where there's joy, where there's uh, all of that, we begin moving down this way. So conviction is from the Lord. Shame is from Satan. Right? And so don't go down that path. When you start feeling that, realize that that's the, the, the calling sign for you to return to the Lord. Don't make excuses when that conviction comes and you realize that you've sinned. Don't try to minimize it. Don't make excuses. Don't try to run away from it. But instead, bring our sin to the Lord. The path back to joy begins with us knowing and owning our sin. And we should be praying, if we don't feel convicted of sin, we should be praying that God would convict us, open our eyes to see the areas of our lives that displease him so that we may move back in step with him. So moving on, it's from this broken place, it's from knowing and owning our sin that we see the next step, is that David begins to beg for inner transformation. He begins to beg for inner, inner transformation. He says this, he says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that have been broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Do you see what David does? After realizing and confessing his sins, he calls out and begs God to change him from the inside out. We, we get this messed up in our world today a lot of times because we want to be changed from the outside in, right? And David's, David understands that that's not it. David is in a place where he realizes his only hope for forgiveness and his only hope for the joy of salvation is to come back to God. He realizes that there's nothing inside of him that can cure himself from this curse of sin. And so where does he go? He goes to the only one that can fix him. David in the first stanza says, look at the mess that I've made. And in the second stanza, he says, he says, now look at all that God can do to fix it. Look at all that God has to do in order to fix it. He cries, change me, change me. And this is what we see. First, we see that God needs to, after he confesses this, and God needs to come to a place of where he is cleaned and he is cleansed by sacrifices. This idea of hyssop was a, a it's, it's, it's actually a plant that when it is dried, that uh, it's used 
Um, it was used during the Passover, the, the night of Passover before God lets his people free from Egypt. They take that hyssop and they put it into the blood of the lamb that has been spilled, and then they put it over the doorpost as a sign. So when death comes, the death angel passes over that family. And this symbol of, of hyssop continually is used throughout the Old Testament to talk about the, the sacrifice of, of blood being spilled for the forgiveness of sins. And so David understands that there is a payment for sin that something has to die and blood has to be shed. And so what David is saying is, Lord, with your holy hyssop, wash me, cleanse me from all these sacrifices. Make me right, clean me again. So God cleans him by his sacrifice. We see that God promises the fruit of joy at cleansing. And then he goes on and he's, God expresses mercy by overlooking David's sin. He expresses grace by creating in David a clean and new heart. God upholds David in the power of his spirit. God restores David to the joy of his salvation and David joyfully follows God because of the willing spirit that God has given him through salvation. Do you see the work of God in the life of David? Do you see all the work that God is willing and ready to do in his life? He's also willing and able to do all of that in our lives. You see, David knew a very important thing. David knew that he didn't need to do better. David knew that he needed to be made better. See, we get that wrong a lot of times. We, we, get, in, we get in the, the place of our sin and we feel like we can fix ourselves, right? We, we know the problem, and then, but we, do, we don't want to listen to God's answer. Instead, we, we know the problem. We know where we're tempted. We know where we fail. We know where we sin. And we're like, okay, I can fix myself. Here's the crazy thing. Remember the penny? The penny cannot clean itself. The penny has no power in and of itself to clean itself. It needs someone, someone or something outside of itself to make it right and to make it clean. Do you guys agree with me? We are this penny. And I'll show you what the power of Jesus does. I'm going to put that in there just for a moment. That dirty penny that has had years of decay and years of tarnishing. You see, David didn't know it, but we know it now, is that this idea of sacrifice was pointing to Jesus. You see, God knows and has always said, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. And what does all scripture point to, as we talked about last week? All scripture points to Jesus, because Jesus was God's ultimate sacrifice. God knew that we couldn't fix ourselves, but God made a provision for our sins. And he knew that one day his son would come to earth, take on flesh, be fully God and fully man. He would live a perfect life so that he could go to a cross and pay for man's sin, to pay for your sin and my sin. And he did. And on that cross, he bore the wrath of God and died and God raised him from the dead because he saw that sacrifice was enough for all sin, all kinds, and all times. It was enough. What we are powerless to do ourselves, God is faithful and able and ready to make us clean. He can take it all away. He can remove all of the shame. He can remove all of the stain. 
and even the smell of ketchup. God does the work. God does the work. The only thing we need to do is surrender. Right? The only thing that penny needed to do was, was to surrender and then be dipped in the cleansing power. We too, all we need to do is say, God, I've messed up. Please forgive me. Please make me whole. Make me new. And he does. Jesus is a sacrifice that makes you clean and can transform you. God's not looking for behavior modification. He doesn't want you just to change your behavior. God wants to cure your wicked heart, and he does it through coming to Jesus. Let's look at the third truth. So we, we first we see how, how David messed up and then how God fixed it, and now we're going to see David's response to God's work in forgiving him. He says this in verse 13. He says, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation and my tongue will sing aloud for your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise for you will not delight in sacrifices or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good design in your good pleasure. Build up your walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings, and the bulls will be offered on your altar. You see, what David does and what he shows us here is that we are to celebrate God's salvation. After God has done the work, we celebrate God's salvation. And we see here David does it in two ways. The first thing, the first way that he celebrates God's salvation is that he wants to help others, other transgressors. He wants to go to other transgressors and teach them the path back to God. He wants to be, use his witness and to use his past failures so that others may avoid following the same path. Or those that are found in the same place that have done more wicked things or, or lesser wicked things, he could go to them and share with them the love of Jesus or the love of God in, in this case, and they may be brought back. See, there's a powerfulness. God understands your life. God understands your mistakes. And God can use your past mistakes and your past failures for his glory. Why? Because it's his story in you. Think, of, think about what happens when, when God cleans us and, and cleanses us from all of that. Right? There, there's, there's a path that says, one person that says, hey, I've done this. I've overcome this addiction. I've overcome this sin. And that person then is like, look at me. Look at what I've done. But the person that comes through the cross looks at their life, and their life is a testimony of what God has done. So they say to the person, not look at what I've done, but look at what Jesus has done in me. Look at his power working. I could never have done that on my own. And so we tell that, we proclaim that as sinners that have been saved by grace, we tell our story, the story of what God has done in us. I used to be this way and now I am this way. I used to be this way and now I'm this way. And then we talk with people and we see where they're struggling with sin and we say, do you want to know the way out? Do you want to know the way to receive forgiveness? Come to Jesus. So David celebrates salvation by helping others experience God's forgiveness. The second way he celebrates is through worshiping God. Having been forgiven, 
having feeling the weight of his sin and his shame and pain be lifted away from him, how does he respond? He responds in worship. He responds by realizing what God has done for him. And it's a a heart of thankfulness. It's a heart of gratefulness. And what's amazing is the context of Psalm 51 is it's in the assembly of the family of God. This is done privately a lot of times. A lot of times confession and walking through this can happen in the secret places in our prayer closets and in our homes. But it's also designed so that it happens when we gather together as the family of God. We sing praises. And every week you should be reminded of the salvation that has been gifted to you because of what Jesus has done. So we sing those songs about what Jesus has done. God is not looking. He goes on in, in, in this passage and, he, and David is wrestling and he's saying that God is not looking towards us, looking for us to do outward acts of worship. He's not looking for sacrifices, that things that we can do or things that we can manufacture um, so that we can have holiness. He's not looking for that. Instead, he says we should come to God with a, with a contrite heart. God always is concerned about our hearts. And so he says, take care of your heart, bring your broken heart. And it's when you do that and bring your broken heart to God that you are worshiping. And then when you come from that place, then the work that you do after that comes from a place of worship, not from a place of trying to earn God's favor. Right, and that's, that's what he's talking about. The, there, there's a good way of sacrifices and there's a bad way of sacrifices. There's a good way of serving and there's a bad way of serving. The bad way of serving says I'm doing this so that God will owe me something or so that God, I'm gonna do this so God will blot out my sin. That's the wrong way. Bring our sin to God and then allow us to experience that cleansing. Then we worship him and that leads us not only to worship, but it also leads us to serving him. So this is how it works. Conviction comes, and our next move should be to confess. Once we're convicted, whether it's through the Holy Spirit, whether it's through a friend, maybe it's through a parent, maybe it's through a police officer, or maybe it's through a judge, it's maybe through someone, we make, conviction may come in our lives where we're reminded that we're out of step of God's design. And when that conviction comes, let us respond by turning to God with confession. God, I, I realize the, the error of my way. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And then when we come there and we confess, then cleansing comes next. We are cleaned, and then we respond in worship. That's the process that God gives us the plan to be clean. So my question for you today, have you come to the place of believing in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you come to the place where you realize that you're sinful and you've tried to to cover your shame and try to get rid of the guilt all a bunch of different ways? but everything has been not good enough. And are you ready today to come to Jesus, to surrender to him so that he may make you clean? If that's you, all you have to do is respond to him in prayer. Just say, Jesus, I realize that I'm a sinner. I realize that I messed up. And I realize that you have come with the power and the the plan to set me free. So I give you my life. Make me clean and let me live my life for you. Pray something like that, and that's the prayer. Or maybe you're, you've got some bigger questions and you still want to know more about Jesus. I would love to meet with you. I can meet with you today or call me up on the phone this week. We'll set up a time to talk. But I want you to know for sure that you know this Jesus. The second response to us is that maybe you need to pray today for conviction. 
Maybe today you've just kind of gone through the Christian life and you're a good person, but you're not aware of your departures, your departure from the will of God in your life in some areas. Pray for conviction. Pray that God would open your heart so that you can still see where you're out of step with God. And then we can return to him. So once we had that conviction, maybe, maybe today your response is you know, you know, the spirit's been active. The spirit's been moving. And maybe it's a, a critical spirit. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's a love of money. Maybe it's a love of relationships. Maybe it's a love of personal possessions that have gotten in the way of, of your love for your first love. And maybe you just need to confess it. Say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the things that I've done. I'm sorry for the ways that I've acted. I'm sorry that I've allowed this treasure that you've given me to be tarnished. Please forgive me. And once that confession happens, then know that you are cleaned again. And it's not as though you lose your salvation. Once you are saved, you are saved. But sometimes, even in our saved lives, sin builds up. Right? And sin still causes us distance between God. And the greatest thing that we can do is confess that sin and know that our salvation is set, but our closeness to God will be returned. So pray for conviction. Confess. Be cleaned. And then praise. I'm going to ask uh, Ryan to come up at this time. And we're going to pray in just a moment. And then what I want you to do is just take a few moments of giving the Holy Spirit free reign in your heart. Just say, God, give me eyes to see what you want me to see in this moment, and then help me to do what you want me to do. And then we're gonna end in in a song. We're gonna sing together and allow this song to be our praise and our worship to God because he is the one that makes us clean. Let's pray together. Father, oh, we thank you so much for loving us. Father, we thank you that it is not your desire that we live in sin. And we know that sin has damaging effects And there may be some here today that are really, truly, truly wrestling with sin. And maybe your conviction has come heavy on their hearts today. And Father, I pray that they would not run away from that heaviness, but know that the heaviness is a warning sign to return to you. But Father, in all of our lives, Father, we, none of us measure up. Just some of us are covered by the blood of Jesus. And so Father, I pray for the one that's not yet covered by your blood, would they come to you today? And Father, in each one of our lives, we desire and we seek joy, and you've given us the path today. We don't have to live in our sin and be a slave to it any longer, but that we can come to you, confess it to you, receive the forgiveness, and then live a life of worship. So Father, today, in this moment, speak and allow us to be obedient. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today.